0: Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three, cut down. Wonderful try.
1: We have a mole, Jim.
0: Diggs like a demented mole there. He just busts through the defence. Just watch this. Splendid, beautifully. In go the Irish for us. This is Lannahan, bursting in. Back to Bradley Back to Cannon. The drop of goal Is over Michael Cannon has
2: done it
1: Good evening And welcome to the Molecast Good evening Good evening We talked last week about uh, Warren Gatlin's voodoo Giving us the heebie-jeebies But you also said Ireland would win the game And you thought you were pretty confident about it Because you know Rugby Matches are full of rugby events um, is there another way of looking at this game where the scoreline flatters Ireland and uh, their try-line saves uh, are the difference between, you know, a very even first half and one that we were well in control of?
2: Great question. It's what Gatland uh, was sort of steering towards in his post-match interviews when he spoke uh, a number of times about 22 entries being the same and that Ireland were just more clinical. Um, but... In, in reviewing it, we were more clinical, but that all just more clinical means better. Ireland scored tries because they were better. Uh, Some of the Welsh opportunities, and particularly the one which um, Hugo Keenan rescued from the feet of of Kieran Dyer. Uh, Um, That shouldn't have been been an opportunity anyway. It was a knock-on in the build-up to it. A very, in my opinion, clear knock-on, which was uh, bafflingly overlooked by the TMO. He was only too willing to throw in his tuppens worth later in the game. Uh, Andrew Porter managed to hold up Jack Morgan, which is good tackling. That's what good players do. Wales, they weren't absolutely bereft of inspiration and they created some chances, but um, the difference between creating chances and taking chances... It's the difference between a good team and a very good team. So no, I don't think we were flattered by the scoreline. I thought it was an extremely uh, and efficient and, and brilliant, uh, to be honest, 20, 24 minutes from Ireland. And the game was over before half an hour was played. We've said this before. That's We've been on the receiving end of games like that. It's, it sounds obnoxious when you say it, but realistically there's about a 1 in 20 chance of coming back from anything over 18 points down. So once Ireland went uh, 21 3 up, it was like, doesn't matter what time in the game it was, we're a 95% chance of winning. And, you know, we we ran out very comfortable winners. The 24 point margin is huge in the Six Nations. Um, away. Away from home against anybody bar Italy. Not trying to piss on Italy, who have massively improved, but they've
0: always been an outlier in terms of scores. I was. I got progressively more nervous as the as the kickoff approached and I went from being, I'd say, reasonably bullish um, at the time of recording and to... Reasonably bearish? To... Were you short in you know, Ireland? Giving Wales a lot of credit for having Gatland, uh, for more so than playing at home and uh, being in front of a really big passionate crowd that was going to sway the referee and then really looking through their team sheet and having seen the names of a lot of guys who had performed at a very high level um and were top caliber players like and that was completely blown out of and out of out of the water as as we know and what struck me this morning was that when Ian Henderson made his not even when he made his breakthrough and Ian Henderson was sort of taken over from Paul O'Connell like when Paulie retired after 2015 we looked at Hendo and went okay so it took Hendo a little bit longer than we thought to break into the Irish second row but Ireland have to build a pack around him like he's he's our starting second mm-hmm. row he's like he's as strong as an ox he's a really good footballer he can shift um and like he's just got this unnatural size and strength for like a, a an Irish guy that he, he has to be our right side of second row and we have to build a pack around him and he's been a double lines tourist but without meaning to make a point of it we talk about not even having him on the bench last week in the pod talking about having Baird and Coombs and it it's it's that comparison with the guy like Ian Henderson compared to what Wales have where I go there's Hendy a double line and we're quite genuinely talking about leaving him out. And I think it was the performance of the 20s as well as the performance of the Irish team. Because I still look at the Irish team and I go, Jesus, like, you know, are we better even man for man for them? Like, in convincingly in every single position? Like, you know, you'd, you'd still pick a number of the Welsh players on the Irish team. But I don't even know if that really stands up to scrutiny. Like, if you if you actually went in and you go, well, maybe four years ago you would have picked yeah. a number of the Welsh players against the Irish guys. But... It's incredible to think that they weren't going to pick Liam Williams, who's an excellent player and who's like a proven international and who's, who's done it consistently and who played well. But he's played by Hugo Keenan. And I just think so many of the Irish guys are performing, I would imagine, at or near their capabilities, but certainly better than other teams are that again going to Gatlin's immediate post-match response and going, Oh, well I can fix that and I can fix that. And Ireland were better than this and better than that. And he sort of made us oh well, you know, they're you know a very good team, the number one team in the world. But like he didn't he didn't really sound like he believed it. You know, yeah. he sort of sounded like, Well, you know, I've got to give you guys this and I've got to make them that that like and Gatlin's brilliant at this, at sort of, you know, well, they are now, but like they won't be when the World Cup comes round. And I was thinking to myself going in any working environment it's not that easy to be as good as irelander it's not just a natural progression that if you've got a team of five or eight or 15 or whatever it is that they'll just get better and better and better like if you think of your own work environment you would like to think it gets like that but it, like it doesn't you just people plateau off at whatever their level is whatever their interest is um they they don't function as well as they might as a collective and this is the world over and I, like it's not just rugby teams where you've got somebody trying to beat you up at the same time who's, whose team are also trying to chase that perfectionist dream and you sort of go that's that's the big difference that like Wales are sort of you know Gatland is holding out that promise of well the Welsh team will get better and we can fix this and fix that Ireland are there yeah Ireland, Ireland yeah. have done the hard bit like Ireland Ireland are better than Wales like, absolutely eviscerated and you're going to to make that up that 24 points up like that's just to keep you in the match yeah that's just to keep you on it like to keep your crowd in it to keep you on an even keel against a team that has a better bench than you and is fitter than you and like how do you think that one's going to work out like if, if you're playing at home that that might be enough to sort of hang on in there because you get a few decisions going your way but it's um it's wonderfully reaffirming for Ireland.
2: Yeah, it's great. You know, most amongst the things which are um, reaffirming the words you used there was Finney Beatham come through so well because it's not as though we had like we have a load of options behind Finney Beatham. Marty Moore's out with an ACL. John Ryan has moved back, uh, moved to New Zealand for months or so. Two players have been capped by Ireland in the past and are not available for selection. So if Finlay Beaton didn't go well, like if he'd had an absolute stinker, if he'd got a hard time in the scrum particularly, you're going, we don't really have other options. He still would have been involved against France. He might have been dropped and he might not have been dropped. So the fact that he did go, and I felt he played particularly well, I thought it was like a really, a performance which was incredibly short on flaws. Uh, No missed tackles, no handling errors, no knock-ons, no turnovers conceded, no penalties conceded. Uh, made 13 tackles, carried seven or eight times, passed a good few times, including a, a try assist pass. You're going like, that's a very, very competent performance from Bielham. I was quite certain that he was going to start against Isley uh, in this tournament, whether or not Tig was fit, including whether Tig was fit. Uh, and I didn't think that he would have started this game, but it's um, it's really it's a real positive for Ireland he's come through. And then the second one is in in the same in the same uh, sort of uh, mode. Uh, a late replacement was was Conor Murray, who played you know really good rugby. Uh, like I'm not sure why uh, I sound so surprised. He's Ireland's greatest ever has come off, but he hasn't been. Ireland's best scrum half for about four or five years, but in this game he's he stood up uh, really well. The parts of his game that have had fallen back notably is breaking and, and threatening around the edge We're back. He had five carries. Now he didn't make you know big line breaks or massive tackles as he has in the past, but just the fact that he's able to run again and has backed himself to run, it's really important as a scrum half that you are a threat at the edge. So really, uh, really happy with, with those two performances from uh, guys who come into the team relatively late.
1: What does it take for a non back row player to be awarded the man of the match? A different person awarding it. Did you, do you know who gave Hugo Keenan the man of the match?
2: I guess it was Jonathan Davies. That's who I thought too. Now, please, if anybody has the answer to that, just put it on... Uh, uh, Tweet at us. Tw- yes, on our social media. Um because I was watching, I was watching the Virgin broadcast and like when he was announced, like the camera goes to him. So I go, oh geez, he's got man in the match. And then it struck me, that's well deserved. But Irish, Irish pundits don't give the, the man in the match to anybody but back
1: And like Caelan Doris
0: had a good enough game to be. Yeah, uh, I
2: was assuming Doris would get it.
0: They went to Caelan Doris first. It must have been, it must have been numbers Squeaky, that, um, Nambas! Squeaky's Rob Andrew. That, he, cuz he he said um that Caelan Darcy had had a very good game and they had the camera on him but then he, then they cut to Hugo Keane. Oh. So it was it was Jonathan Davies. Okay. Um and uh, just go back to what guys so like Furlong missing, Kelleher missing. Them um, 2 thirds of a start in front row a few years ago. Mm. And JGP, who's been anointed by many, has been the, the beating heart of Ireland's game, given how quickly Ireland play. So, again, fairly reaffirming to, to return to that word about um, the ability of the team to handle a bit of disruption and to cultivate the sort of the, the mood in the squad that that guys can come in and play really well, and, I don't know what it is, like they, don't, they don't seem to be, as under, under as much pressure, or that they're kind of, as daunted, or that they had to go out of the way, and prove, something, um, like just, <laughs> a really encouraging performance, and really sharp, um, like loads of different line-out options, uh, set pieces were really good, I think that, y- y- it's easy to when when they're that good and that efficient it's easy to lose sight of what a platform it lays down for for the rest of your game um, because Ireland enjoyed so much ball and they enjoyed um, such a all, like all the all everything that, that they wanted to do they could do because they were providing themselves with very high quality ball and They've got lots of variation, and th- that's that's Ireland's game. Like that's Ireland's real strength is that they've lots of variation yeah. of the same, the same, and the same, and the same starting the same starting point. Yeah. So whether the ball comes down and it's driven, or whether the ball comes down and it's popped, or whether it's played off the top, like all of those, yeah, whether it's thrown there. to two. again, 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 it's all like each option is live, and you're going, you like that. That's difficult to play against because they're not setting themselves up that oh this is what we're going to do um, like I think Darius was maybe not our top line out
2: target but second after O'Mahony and then Burn and then James Ryan last but with four you know very good line out options like we actually threw to two quite a lot Peter O'Mahony yeah, at yeah. two yeah uh, but that as you saying it's, it's how the wrinkles that come off that do you stick it in under your Oxter and drive, or do you pretend to stick it in under your Oxter and run around the side and pass, or do you stick it under your Oxter, then go out to the back and then run around the side? You know, so a lot of options off the same, you know, initial start
0: program. So just look very, very, co- very cohesive doing that. And again, that's a word that Eddie Jones used in relation to Ireland, I think two seasons ago. Mm. about how cohesive they were. And it, it got an awful lot of airplay at the time until the word lost all meaning. But looking at Ireland again, it did strike me that like it's an extremely well-oiled team. Um, to the extent that it it's just normal. Even even in the, the opening move that led to the James Lowe's kick ahead, that led to the pressure going in, that... Like I, I don't think it was a plan that McCluskey was going to throw a big miss to skip. I think he just he ended up in that situation, and he was like, "Well, this is on." Like they're they're very yeah. tied in. Like this is the way the Wales defend outside in blitz. Um, and this is the way you beat that defense. Yeah, is there's the space you, back there? You go, you go high. You keep your winger deep, and you go wide. As as like that, that's the classic way to beat an umbrella defense, and. That was like, that was their first attack of the match. And then, again, like we talked about James Lowe's kicking ability and what it's like having a, a left footer playing in your left wing. And he put in a great chip. And all of that sort of stuff is, it's almost like clockwork for Ireland. Mm. Where you go, like, that was just the right thing to do. And it's that phrase, heads up rugby, which I would have bridled against when I heard it first, that I thought this is an absolute nonsense. But... Uh Cat and Farrell have implemented it very, very successfully. Or they've built an environment that has allowed the players to implement it. Do you not... You don't think that first set of plays is, is
1: kind of off a playbook? Or it, like, as in, like, it, it's like, they're going to defend like this, we'll
0: do this. I think it is. I mean, I think they've looked at the video analysis and they know this is the way that Wales defend and they know that Wales are going to put pressure on, they're going to come in from the outside and they're going to look to cut off whatever passing channels are to 13 and 15 and to make aggressive tackles and to, to slow you down. Um, so the guys are prepared for that, but I don't think that they're going out saying this is exactly what we're going to do. Like we're going to, we're, we've called a move and we're going to see it through to its bloody conclusion or um, inhale or shine Rain like it's in like a, a, yeah. if Jim had seen a big gap in front of him, he would, have, he would have gone into it, into yeah. it. And, it and if they if they'd stood back he would have given it to Ringrose or Keenan yeah
1: uh, so I remember the thing I was going to say earlier on <clears throat> you talked about Ireland being more clinical and that essentially being better I wanted to look at the scoring pattern of the, of the game against France last year mm. I, was, I couldn't I couldn't quite remember if we'd ever gotten ahead we never did get ahead uh, but the thing that surprised me when I look back at the details of it was that we outscored them in terms of tries, but they kicked six penalties; we only kicked one penalty. Mm. Uh, how do you think? How do you think we'll solve the issue of giving away too many penalties against France? I mean, our scrum was a big problem
0: last time.
2: No, oh, good question. I hadn't thought about it.
0: <laughs> um, playing at home is a big help because. Y- you don't have that crowd noise, in or uh, indicating to the referee that something is 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 out of line, and I think it's the area of Ireland's game where there's the the most room for improvement, which is something that you probably wouldn't. I don't think you get to that stage unless all of your game is very good. Anyway, like I, it, um, I think the thing. The series of plays that frustrated me the most on Saturday was when Wales had a five-meter scrum defending their own line and Porter got penalised for the scrum penalty and then Hugo Keenan very shortly thereafter, got penalised around the halfway line for holding on. And I was there thinking to myself, that's two absolute cheap penalties where if if you think in the big picture, you go we must have a scrum where we're not trying to wheel them, we're not trying to put a big shove on, we're not trying to get a quick strike, we're just trying not to get penalised. Like, they're five metres from their line, they, they, we expect them to win it, mm-hmm. we expect them to push us, we know they're going to be awkward, we just need to stay as tight and as upright as we possibly can, because the best they can do from this, if we don't give away a penalty, is, I don't know, box kick it to, what, the ten. It's it's still our lineout in their half, like that. That's the best they can do from, and like that would be an absolutely phenomenal kick. More than likely, they're gonna they're gonna clear it to some point between the ten and the twenty-two, and we like our lineout is dominant. And again, like watching watching the Italians in particular, I was just thinking to myself, like if you can avoid giving away penalties. You just make yourself so difficult to beat. Like the the into, like, so much of the game is just predicated on getting field position from penalties. And then we talked about it last week, and I think it bears repeating that teams. And I I, I was conscious watching the match that I could see Irish guys holding onto the ground, onto the ball on the ground for a little bit, and it working in that Ireland retained the ball. Um. And you're sort of going, wow, like, ooh, what's the risk? Like, do you, do you give up that ball retention? Because fought four times out of five, uh, seven, seven times out of ten, it works for you. It's just that the penalties are so disproportionate to what the the trade-off on the other side is for the team. Like Wales turned that ball off uh, over against Keenan on the halfway line. They're in no position to attack. I, I don't see what they do other than
2: no, because the two players actually who were Jackling were both outside. Was, I think it was George Lawrence and Liam Williams. Yeah. So they don't have pace. They can't flash it, you know, to the blind side and have a winger there. You know, it's... I, I thought of you actually when, when I saw that happen. I was thinking like, oh, you know, he should have just let go there. Keenan.
0: Yeah. So against France, it'll be really interesting to see if Ireland's... What Ireland's penalty count is like. Um. Well, the, the thing that
1: I, I was bearing in mind, I probably texted you during the game, and said your kind of quote that you always say is like mm-hmm. the team that's going forward wins the penalties. And that French team scored a try after two minutes at home, and like the crowd were as boisterous as I've ever seen them at Stade de France. They were very much the team that was going forward, even though like Matt Hansen sort of struck back with this opportunist try. They were the team that was going forward and getting all those penalties, and. I mean, if we <laughs> we should start the same way we started it against against Wales by scoring a try after two minutes. Yeah, and, uh, and, we should um, definitely keep that one in our back pocket yeah, if um, we need to use it after the first minute it doesn't go well. Yeah, yeah I just, think we
2: beat them. I was looking back in the last game we played Lansdowne Road, which one of those uh, fishy games during COVID with nobody there, so they only won that 15-13. We have had a lot of changes now. They've had changes in their team too. But their pack, I think, will retain probably six players: uh, Cyril Boy, Marchand, Villemesse, uh, and the entire back row of Jelanch, uh Olivon, and uh, Aldridge. Whereas our, our starting pack that day was it was Cian, Robbie Herring, uh, Peter Porter at um, Tidehead, then Tig and Hendo in the second row, then Reese at six, Josh at seven, and CJ Standard at eight. So you know, we'll go in with a change of loose head, a change of hooker, a change of tight head, one change out of two in the second rows and two change out of three in the back row. Like, that's a very different team. On the day, Billy Burns was our at half, Henshaw Ring was our centres, Keith Earls and James Lowe were on the wing. This was the first coming of James Lowe when he was... um
0: Biting in and missing tackles. Yeah,
2: correct. And Keenan was our fullback. So we'll have a number of changes in the back line as well, Gibson Park was scrum half. So we'll have a change at... Nine change of ten, change of twelve, change of fourteen. So we'll probably have ten uh, changes all in all. Nine posi- or nine personnel, one positional. They'll probably have. They didn't have. Um, uh, they'd but Entomac on the bench in that game. Um, they had Peno. They had Gael Ficou. They'd Bryce Doolan on fullback, who was man the match. Correctly, mm-hmm. um, it was fifteen thirteen as I said, uh, a bad game. Um, they're gettable away from home Like as I was saying to somebody else earlier today it's sort of a moot point when the World Cup is, is on in France for them how important it is Like whether they're good away from home or not I don't think that they are particularly good away from home I think it's a big swing every team has a swing every team is better at home but I think the French swing is, is significant for a team that have been so successful and run up so many victories they haven't played. Um, they haven't played because because their tour, the, uh, their tour last year, last summer was to Japan. That's not a that's not a, a, a challenging tour. They didn't send a, a full strength team over, but it's not a, it's not a challenging tour like Tour um, South Africa or New Zealand or even Australia. It's a much easier tour than Australia. So I think I think we'll knock them over. Um... I I yeah, I'm I would say I'm quite confident. I think that the home advantage will play to our favour more and I think our team is much better than it was two years ago, both in terms of personnel and just how they've progressed as uh, as a as a team, how they play. Like it took quite a while for Farrell and Kat's game plan to bet in to the point where after year one I was still thinking like Jesus like Caddy hasn't done much, you know, it's it's good performance against Wales, bad performance against England, that sort of thing. I
0: think Ireland, Ireland lost their first two matches and that was the second of the two in that Six Nations and thereafter got better and won the three and then had a good oh yeah, summer of course, yeah, against we lost Japan, to Wales, yeah. Lost to Wales when Omani got sent off and Burns missed touch. Um, That's right. And there was, there was probably signs of rallying against France, but confidence was very low. Yeah. Um, I think allied to that, uh, Dupont isn't the same force that he was this time two years ago. He unbel- like to my eyes, it was unbel- he unbelievably got man of the match against the Italians. Um, Did he
2: get man of the match in that game? Yeah, oh, I, I didn't think. It was I man just match.
0: thought I don't know why they gave it to him, other than he was Dupont, and they hadn't really been paying attention to what else had been going on, um, and they sort of felt obliged. So he's still he's still very good, but he's not the sort of force in nature. That he he was two years ago. Um,
2: you're not to say, man, he was two years ago.
0: <laughs> and that not not being penalised is huge for Ireland. Yeah, because and, and just 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 having that level of concentration and that awareness that like some sometimes you are going to be penalised, and it's just hard to avoid, but. You know, the, there's a few penalties where you just you don't have to give them away, and the difference is quite significant if you can manage not to get not to concede. What
2: did you think of of uh, the one where Porter was penalised for tackling Liam Williams as Liam Williams was scoring, and they restarted with a uh, with a pen on halfway, kind of, which is very unusual. I wish I would have seen as like overkill for that, uh, and which I would have preferred to seen in a lot of other incidents.
1: I felt I, like. Porter was fine and I'm not sure who started it up whether it was the next Welshman in or Hansen made made a mountain out of a molehill. Out of I didn't think it was a penalty
0: I sir I felt that oddly I felt that Porter got penalized for Hansen running in um, which doesn't make any sense but I I, I thought to, Gardner, that I I thought to myself that if if Hansen hadn't come in Porter wasn't going to be penalized mm. Um, and i thought i thought potter was legitimate to go as he did for Liam williams because he didn't come down on top of him he sort no. of slid in from the side Yeah, he didn't clock him in the head or anything he didn't like clock that. him in the head he didn't knee him he didn't he didn't come from a height and elbow him. like yeah. he-, he didn't it wasn't a cheap shot it was just that there was an off chance that yeah, he was going to keep fu- the ball elevated for yeah. a little bit too long and you see the you see some of the tackles that were made the following day when guys were like Olivon was in the process of putting the ball down and only that somebody went in and scragged him from the Italian team and prevented him scoring a yeah. try, he he would have scored another try. And you're going like, you're like you're allowed to do that. Yeah. So I thought it was and it must have been the right thing to do, because Scatlin started stirring the shit about it afterwards, and you know, just talking. And like you're sort of going like Brilliant ability to even get that soundbite on the TV. For a coach who just had his team hammered by 24 points at home, like anything else that he says is just a smokescreen about how bad his setup was. So I didn't think Liam Williams covered himself in glory.
1: I didn't. Nor did Henderson. But like Henderson was taking his arm out of the way and Liam Williams sold it like he was shot. And like the more the replays were shown, the more embarrassing it became for him. And then he luckily got a yellow card a minute later. So he didn't have to be around on the field for... But I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought that was it was like so often those those kind of like post any kind of shoving match, yeah, shirt collar grabbing match. You know, no one throws any punches. Nothing really bad happened. Everyone yeah. just goes, yeah, like lads, calm down, grow up. I don't know. It felt like it. It, it felt like. The, It felt a little bit like Wales manufactured it or maybe Mack Hansen manufactured it. Yeah.
2: I'm happy to see that referees haven't let it go from like the playbook that you can restart with a penalty after uh, like a try for foul play. I think that's good. But I thought that was an unusual circumstance uh, in which it was... In which like... Do you remember when when in the... uh, Somebody called to me yesterday the rough and tumble game against the All Blacks in, in Lansdowne Road after we beat them in 2016 and and Sexton fucking absolutely close line Bowdoin parada in the dead ball area like that would have been a good one to restart with a penalty you know but i I think I'm, of a few other penalties not much yeah. <laughs> exactly there was a shortage of penalties <laughs> in that game but uh, so I, I'm I'm sort of part of me was like a, a small part of me maybe a 5-10% part of me I'm putting a lot of things in percentages these days was going, oh, I'm glad that referees haven't forgot you can do that because it's too often like the slate is, is is wiped clean when, you know, we've said this before on this podcast, when you should have had a yellow, but you score anyway. And then the referee goes, oh, that's grand. The five penalties I awarded against the defending team have been forgotten now, you know, because you scored a try and you scored it wide out and you missed conversion. It's like fucking five points for all that pressure. They don't even get a man in the bin. um So that that was interesting. I thought he... Like I, I texted you during the match and go, we are getting every call in the first half. But as you said, it's because we were the team going forward and Wales were fucking stupid. We were, we were talking about some of our stupid penalties. Some of theirs were dense. Absolutely
0: thick. I, I, I thought was,
1: Wales made a concerted effort to try and line the ball literally from every one of the first oh, 10 rooks. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: They were so slow on their side and they, they knew what they were trying to do. And they then, also knew that if you, if you go out and play against Ireland, you have to slow down rook ball. And they would have seen how successful that was for the Ospreys. And it's, it's to Ireland's credit the Wales couldn't do it. Like Ireland's breakdown was very efficient.
2: Yeah. And we had really good depth from our forwards. Like I, I thought most notably of James Ryan's big carry before uh, Doris's try. Was it the one when he bashed over Jack Morgan? Like he, he came back from like five metres back. Like, uh, like La Rochelle were hitting the, the line against Ulster in uh, Lansdowne Road, like she's just like running really hard from depth. Um, is, it's it's like that is the meat and drink of forward play. It's like not taking the ball static. Like if you are you're still one out, you know. It's literally it's nine to next man out. But the difference between running onto the ball at full pelt, and and you know coming from a standing start is the difference between gain line and non-gain line. It's between the difference between a well-coached and well-organized team and a team who's who's trying not to panic. Uh,
1: We didn't just beat the national team of Wales. We also beat their under-20 representative team in a very high-scoring and fun-looking match that I watched some of on Friday night. Uh, I couldn't help but notice Ireland have a few enormous bruisers who can throw little lovely basketball passes and they all have Calen head headguard on.
2: Yeah, we uh have a team a, a pack definitely to say uh a team where the, the strength is in the forwards and it's a, it's a real strength. Even there's there's a, a good bench there as well with uh with Evan O'Connell and uh and that fucking unit from Ballinagh who came on Feikra Barrett who's just an absolute monster. But the starting pack, uh, I thought the standouts were, were Paddy McCarthy, a tight head. Um, German Mangan, who's who I think really projects as a blind side, but uh, had a very effective game in the second row alongside Conor O'Tierney. And then uh, Ron Quinn and, and Brian Gleeson, who I understand is an under-19 and was the official man of the match. So with with Fintan Gunn starting, they were able, and, and Sam Prendergast. I thought that the they have a, they have the ability to play a ten man game in if weather dictates, and, um, but they also they had some good uh, some good tries from the backs as well, particularly brilliantly taken try following Sam Prendergast's uh, back of the handoff, the incredible little footwork bit he put in. Which for a guy who's one meter ninety four, I did not expect. That's like George North type footwork for a guy that that tall. You don't put the, you, I don't put those two together like Jordan Armour footwork on, you know, Don Lennon
0: height. I knew that the the demographics should be coming around Ireland's way just with the the increase in the birth rate. From funnily enough, James Ryan's year when Ireland got to a World Cup final, and you think to yourself, Jesus, well, like we're going to have nearly twice the people to select from in, in a few years' time. So, like, we have to be getting better. And although we won a Grand Slam last year and had been very good for the two years before that, I wouldn't have said it was chock-a-block with incredible athletes. But looking at the team that played on Friday evening, I was struck by how many big guys on the team could shift and could play. Like, pretty much all the back five or six-foot-five-plus Including the open side, I don't know how tall Ruonkron like is. He's six three, but he's He looks really big, um, and they can all move. They can all run, and they can all handle. And you're sort of going right. This this was what I expected from an Irish team with that many people born, and it's it, it's it's based on the experience of what I'm going to call like the Pope's children's teams of teams populated by guys born 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, which is Brian O'Driscoll, David Wallace, Gordon Darcy. um, Paul O'Connell, Doug O'Callaghan, Leo Collins. Yeah, yeah, like the tall guys, you know, to to a certain extent, but the fast explosive guys, like, are rare. Yeah, yeah. And they're the guys that make the difference. You know, again, look, we'd we'd sort of struggle for tall guys before that, so it was great to have you know, Bob Casey and Paul O'Connell and Malcolm O'Kelly and Donald O'Callaghan and Leo, and and all these guys are, you know, just sort of all came along around the same time. Um, Due to Chernobyl, not Chernobyl. But, uh, Sellafield. Sellafield. Yeah. Um, And, you know, France is a very tough match at under-20s, but... Think if Ireland don't win a grand slam with that team, it'll be a bit disappointing because they were excellent. Like Wales were good. Wales were a lot better than last year, and their second centre will go to the World Cup. I think. I think Gatlin's prepared to back. I can't remember what his name is now, but he was he was excellent. He was very good. So was their ten. Like some of their tries were lovely. That was a great game
2: to watch. It was so exciting in terms of the actual the individual skills on show were top drawer. Like super rugby when it was good, when it was super twelves and super 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 twelves especially, mm. more so than super tens. Like some of the Welsh tries, I thought like because I thought last year Wales are in terminal decline. Their team was fucking atrocious. It was full of like really badly conditioned guys who didn't even have skills. You know they had like one did a good half back, one good back, and then they had like fat out of shape forwards they going Jesus Wales has really gone down to Swansea and this this Welsh team were undersized in the pack they didn't have the forwards their backs were super the handling two of their tries were absolutely exquisite you couldn't ask for you couldn't ask for better tries apart from apart from another game which happened the next day in the big six nations um, so uh, game was so enjoyable it's a great spot we were talking about that earlier today about the Friday night spot for the under twenties under lights is a great start to the weekend. Splitting off the uh, women's tournament to a later date, I think, works well for everyone because, as you'd said, that that game had become sort of after the Lord Mayor's show. You knew the Friday nights were were the twenties, then the main game, the 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 sort of the big game was the men's game, and then the, the women's game was sort of fitted in around it. Whereas moving moving that tournament to its own slot. Gives them their own. It gives them the own audience which will always watch it, and then another audience as well who are going to watch an Irish team play. And that's only going to be the Irish team playing in, in April and, and May. Uh, but the the twenties Friday night start is, is a great lead into the weekend. Love it. Really enjoy those games. It doesn't. It's not as uh, it's not as nerve wracking. It's a much more enjoyable game to just sit down and watch. You don't think you don't think like it's not going to affect your mood. Like the next two days, if they lose, you know, you um, have to read all that fucking
0: bullshit <laughs> about the reasons <laughs> why the team lost, which are all wrong. And very, very encouraging for Irish rugby to the extent where you're going, Jesus, like Sam Prendergast looks. I was gonna say like a mini version. He looks like a younger version of Johnny Sexton, but like all the loops are there. The sort of the heads up, the approach to looking for cross kicks. He looks calm. And Um, he looks like the the guy who plays
2: uh, Billy Bean young Billy Bean in Moneyball
0: yeah and the rangy the rangy style of his running and like he looks like a real number 10 now like it's it's an invidious comparison against Sexton because he's not he's not there you know he could could be better than Sexton though. that's what you uh, want to say (laughs) did you just say he's better than Sexton but (laughs) um, well he's projecting he's (laughs) projecting that Again, you look at Irish rugby systematically, and you just sort of go, "God, like it's like Irish rugby is, a, it's in a good spot." Yeah. Um, so very, very encouraging. Um, when you sort of think that, that's going to feed through to the national team. So a team that won the Grand Slam last year, which, which typically that's the profile that. Uh, yeah, a lot of players that go on. Players come from. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we went on that emerging Ireland tour, and you go, if we do that again next season, we're not going to do it again next season because the World Cup's on. But like, if we do it again the season after, team's going to be even stronger. Like there, there's more players, and I, I'm in favor, I was in favour of it. I, I still am that I think it, I think it uh, presents guys with an opportunity to vault over more established guys that are their coaches' favourites because they're just in a different environment. And I think one of the, you know, like one of the forgotten men at the moment is Tom Hearn. Somebody said it to me and I was like, no, he's injured. And you don't know when he's going to get back. But again, you go, you know, if if his injury is like just an injury, if there's no complications, Mm -hmm. like he's going to come back in the mix. And his his age profile is still superb for a second row. Um, And... He has as as we were well aware, like the, the skills to play really well in that game that, that monster are playing. Yeah. As and does the dog bow. As as does the dog bow. And you're going like, Janie, there's there's an awful lot of talent around the place. Yeah. And is the uh, What if they
1: all declare for Scotland though?
0: <laughs> oh
2: well. They can't all declare for Scotland. That's a that's a good point about vaulting over people, I agree. And something which like Michael Milne has been called into the Irish squad as as a as a loose head, which puts him. If you look at the depth chart now, it's it's um, so Porter Healy, uh, Kilcoyne, and now Milne, You know who who uh, even at Christmas time was like he he got the chance in uh, in October with with the Emerging Tour, but like he wasn't playing ahead of Ed Byrne for for Leinster. And now Ed Byrne is injured. But I think Milne would have got the call-up from Farrell anyway. Ed Byrne was actually on the bench against France in the last, uh, the last home game. In,
1: in have to give credit to the forwards.
0: He just busts through the defence.
1: We witnessed one of the all-time great uh, championship tries on Saturday afternoon. Duhan van der Merwe uh, playing like John Loma rugby. Playing like
2: David Duckham crossed with John Lomu. it was a thing of beauty.
1: Um, but other than that, Scotland are quite good. They don't fear England, and England are a team that's good at nothing, as their coach says.
2: No, England team not good at anything. Not good at anything.
1: That's sorry. That's it. Uh, not that's good at an, anything. That's an di- atom splitter, isn't it? Not good at anything is a little bit different than. Uh, what did I say? Good, good at, nothing. at nothing. Good at nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's it. They're not good at anything.
2: <laughs> and Bortwick, I always take like I, I think Borthwick has a lot of similarities in how he deals with the media. And just in general with Leo Cullen, I think he's um like he's very well considered. There's a, a big brain up there in the stratosphere, uh, in that thin air. Not and I I would say like he doesn't have a lot of side to him. Not that he's not smart, not that he doesn't see the angles, but he generally plays with a straight bat. He's been Eddie uh I've said this twice, I was about to call it Eddie Jones, Eddie O'Sullivan again. He's been Eddie Jones's um second in command for both England and Japan. Like he's a long history with Eddie Jones. He's one of the few coaches that Eddie Jones didn't sack. So he he obviously himself and Eddie Jones you know, had a I would say as good a relationship as Eddie Jones has had with an assistant coach, and to come out and say like the the team that I took over, which was coached by my mentor, was not a well coached team. I did not that would have been the last thing I expected Borthwick to say, but he went f- he went further, not f- further in terms of insulting Eddie Jones, but further in explaining what he meant by that. And he goes, we're not we have probably the worst scrum, you know, on the basis of the recent games that we've had. Like, which he's looked at statistics and he's looked at things individually, no doubt. And then he, we don't have quick, we don't provide a lot of quick rock ball. Our line-out isn't effective and we don't score that many tries. So he's saying like, when I say we're not good at anything, it's that's like we don't have anything to hang our hat on. We can't go to our scrum to, to work penalties out of an opposition. We can't guarantee that we're going to score from a five-meter line-out. We can't, Continually recycle the ball And you're going well That's That's all like True That is On, on, the, on the basis of their recent performance Like That is self-evident But it's funny that He, he, he came out and said it that bluntly um, And against that England Like they're not They're not a, a terrible team They're just uh, they're, they're at the moment They're like They're a, a middling team and they you know
0: they should be a, a better team and some of their players play quite well um, but as you say, middling is middling's a very good I, w- I was trying to figure out i mean we did say it's Eddie's a great coach and an awful manager, and maybe it's just that confrontational style that he has is that he's he Imposes that in his own players as well. That um, I felt reading his book that he was very loath to give Maro Atouji any praise whatsoever. He re- he really wanted Toj to work for whatever he got and you know whatever he did he was like, oh you know if he keeps working hard he'd be good and you're there going, Eddie, he's pretty good already <laughs> he's you know the <laughs> fucking best second rows in the world like um and he's playing quite poorly at the moment though. Part of me is not surprised that it must be... It, like, it's just mentally very wearing if you're not getting praise. Like, people react... People react to praise. Like, yeah. some sometimes you need to give people the stick. And, like, if they're awful, you can't be telling them that they're good and expect to get positive results from it. But people... People, the, the reports from the Irish camp are very positive about the, the atmosphere that's in the Irish camp. And Farrell's got that I guess credibility that when he talks about oh, I wish the bus had been 15 minutes late. It was only three. It was disappointing that we went <laughs> later because I wanted us to embrace the pressure. And you, you kind of go, There's there's just something that he has that actually makes that believable. Yeah. That for 99 people it just sounds absolute horseshit. It sounds like something like David Brent. Sort <laughs> of man, like just awful management caricature stuff. But with Farrell, you, you, I want us to embrace, you know, everything that's difficult and just pressure and just, you know, enjoy it. So I go, I kind of, like, I think he actually lives his life like this. Yeah. And, and does embrace it and like does, does get benefit from it. Um, very difficult. Very difficult atmosphere gotcha. to uh, to create. Like I would like my work day to, do, to be
2: easier rather than harder.
0: Yeah, <laughs> to, like to do with credibility. Um, so I, w- I won't say that it that is easily replicated, but extremely positive for for Ireland. Um, a far more relatable one was Graham Henry's in charge of the All Blacks. Just got oh, when you're coaching the All Blacks, like you just you have to be the hardest working guy in the squad. Like that's if you if you want your team to be the best, that's pretty much the only way to guarantee it, and it's hard to imagine like a harder working coach than Eddie Jones, so that and on its own it wasn't going to be enough to get it out. But it's kind of like a no dickheads policy, and you go as hard and all working as Eddie is, and as entertaining as he is, like he's a complete dickhead. <laughs> he is a dickhead. I was reading about
2: Gilbert and Oak has been hired by Chelsea. I don't know if you saw that as a consultant. Um, hadn't seen that to bring in the no dickheads policy and, and he, there, his, he, he had a great line brilliant line he goes if you can't change the people like our, our mantra was if you can't change the people change the people so if you can't change the behavioural standards of the people who are dickheads in the squad then you change them out
0: Chelsea have just spent <laughs> like 250 million tickets. Given the nature major contracts, <laughs> like that it kind of happen if they're uh, but I thought it was fascinating,
2: but um but Eddie Jones had a particular type of of, uh, of player that he wanted to select, which is your hard working um dragged himself up by his fingernails player. And he 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 that's not necessarily that's not necessarily that's not where most English players come from. And he wanted to change that into where his players come from. You're going, that's not where your players come from, pal. Like, you are fucking, you are like King Canute here. Your players, a lot of them are going to come from, you know, well-heeled, uh, independent or public school backgrounds. So, wanting them all to be um, Courtney Laws or or Owen Farrell, I, I don't know, I think maybe maybe they both went to independent school, but you know what I mean? He just wanted the abrasive type, the abrasive type, and he's going like... That's a one-track mind. That is not an open mind. So, like, I, I was looking at um the two players who were called into English squads that I took note of were uh, Arundel and Henry Slade. I was just thinking, like, they should definitely go into the team immediately. They Slade at 13 and Arundel instead of Hassel Collins. Arundel's fucking potentially...
0: He could be the bad shot of, of this generation. Oh, absolutely. I... I do think with England that quite amazingly, like England England just keep on failing in the same way over decades where my memory of England being bad in the 80s was that they would change their team quite frequently and that they would hasten to anoint um, the latest, shiniest thing as it. Um, And I sort of feel that they've done that with Van Perfleet and Marcus Smith. Like quite simply, Van Van Perfleet was Ben Young's is old, but Ben Youngs is excellent. Um as an English scrum half. And I think Van Perfleet's been given the start in Jersey too too cheaply. He makes all the mistakes. I don't think yeah, he does. And Marcus Smith just stands too deep. It's it's, it's quite it's quite simple. Um that he... he his team just don't bear the threat that they should because he's just too far away from the line. And you sort of say, oh, they look much better with Farrell at 10 or Farrell at first receiver. And you go, yeah, that's because he's bombing onto the ball. Um, so whether they bring back George Ford to play at 10 and they play that double pivot or whether they just play a conventional uh, center partnership beside Owen Farrell, I just think a lot of their issues will be solved. Excuse me, by... Um by dropping the two halfbacks that they have and picking other guys that are available, not necessarily like just picking experienced guys in in Youngs and Ford or else Youngs and Farrell. As, yeah. as, and, but English rugby doesn't want to do that. English rugby wants to discard the older guys and, and go with the shiny things. And that's, even their former players who work, work in the media still have the same mindset. Now, that's not the only thing with England. I felt that for Steve Borthwick, who's... Um, Professional speciality subject special yeah, speciality subject uh, is the line out. I, I couldn't understand the back five that he picked. Um, he went, but Ludlam, who's who's a blocky, strong ball carrier, um, Ben Curry, I could understand, but he's not as he's not as good as Tom. Basically, no, and like, no, and, and Tom's Tom's a good line out player. He's ben a Curry, Curry. He's a, yes. <laughs> And uh and Dunbrandt, who's big but not a line out player either. And you're going and then Ben Earl on the bench, and you're there thinking to yourself, <laughs> like, of course you've got to struggle in the line out. You have two and a half options. Like you need to have five, you need to have four. Mm. Ideally a fifth. Um and if you're if your set piece struggles and your ten is standing too far away from the line, like you're screwed. So in contrast, Scotland, who are in our group, played <laughs> like archetypal Gregor Townsend, Finn Russell, Scotland game, where Finn Russell just has such good coordination that he makes, he makes ball handling, ball striking look easy. But he does, some, he does like so much his good ruby so far away from where it matters, and he does such stupid things, but he's got such capacity for inspirational plays and sort of magic moments that the longer Scotland are in the game, the more potential there is for, for him to pull something off that, that's crucial. Um, and then, you know, ally that to Duhan Vernda, and and his, his broken field running um, means that they do carry quite a threat, but like England never should have lost that game. I, I really feel... Playing at home, playing against a Scottish team that does most of their good play with you know in between their own ten, in between the tens, you should just be you should be clear of that. Just watch this. Great passage of play. Though. This shows how dangerous they are with the ball in the hands. They don't build them like that anymore.
1: The world like that is one of a kind. So Italy nearly beat France, although I think you'd have a hard time convincing anyone when Italy were up that France weren't going to get another try. Um, France looked quite uh, speak, we spoke about our own discipline against France last year they looked quite ill disciplined they looked like they couldn't get on the right side of the referee kept on getting penalised and ended up in a very in hot water against an Italian team who'd given them a head start and who actually looked aggressive, fit and confident despite being behind for a lot of the game um do you think it's gonna be a wake-up call for France? Or do you think are, I mean do you think it's a, it's more of a, a comment on how much Italy have improved?
2: I think more comments on how Italy have improved. It will definitely be um it's a great question. Is it is it a wake-up call for France? No, I feel, I have the feeling that they went out there. I don't think any team goes uh in their first game is going out and I think it's only Italy will beat them. It's the first game in the Six Nations. So if it's not just Italy, they're also gearing up for the whole tournament. You know, they're working very hard to get selected in that squad. So I don't think they were taking it handily, having, you know, gitans in like five minutes before kickoff. So the wake up call was delivered, but I don't think it's because France were sleepy. Um... They started the game well. And at that stage, I was just thinking, Jesus, Italy haven't, you know, that was a complete, like, shows how bad, like a lot of thoughts went through my mind. I was thinking basically it shows how bad Wales were last season, you know, to have lost Italy. You see the, the first try, Flamont's try off Varney, which was just so fucking soft. Thinking, oh God, Italy haven't actually got that much better. And then I know that, uh, my feeling was always that they, obviously a win over Australia is good, good for Italy, but it wasn't a strong Australian team. It wasn't anything like the Australian team that we played. So I was thinking, like, their results have been good, possibly down to playing, I said, more likely down to playing the bad teams. And then when it got to the final whistle, I was looking back and going, Jesus, Italy were, like, if they hadn't given away, particularly the soft first try, I was thinking, like, you, you can't give such easy tries away in the Six Nations against a team that's better than you. You know, you can give away an easy try against a team that's worse than you and still win, but against a team that's better than you, like the six nations games are so hard fought that you're probably going to lose but that that whole my my thinking on that try changed so much instead of just going oh typical italy i thought like that was actually out of character for the italian team that played the rest of the game Um, i'm really i was really impressed by by as most people were by brex and kaput's offseas I was saying earlier that I compare him to like Cheslin Colby, not as fast as Colby, possibly even certainly as elusive, possibly even more inventive, Uh, a brilliant finish from him. Um, And then, you know, there's so much to like about their loose head, whose name I can't remember. The guy who had a great game against, uh, against Wales. Mm. And, uh, and about Crowley, who's done a really good job improving that team very quickly. So, the French team, like I'm still, I, my feeling on France is that they're uh, away from home. They've hardly played uh, they've hardly played anybody away from home. They've gone on this long, unbeaten run. All, loads of their games have been, um, loads of their games have been at home. And as I was saying, it's a sort of a moot point because the World Cup is at home for them. So it doesn't really matter if they're not that good on the road because they'll be at home for fucking all, loads of games. But in this uh, Six Nations, they're on the road against us. Yeah, at the weekend and I think they're they're gettable at like they only beat us by two points two years ago in a in a soft match and I, I think that we're a much better team than we were two years ago and I don't think their, their six nations that season ended poorly like they were in pole position to win it and they sort of fucked it up um, and I think that we will I think we'll beat them there's a few
0: things that are very contrary to French rugby than Irish rugby, particularly coming to internationals, because the the amount of players that they have, the, the different place that rugby holds in the psyche means that the French could quite easily pick a second team that would be as good, if not even perhaps better than their first team, because... Just depending on form. So, the, re- the reason I say that is that uh, Galtier has been very consistent with selection and he's, he's got quite a tight knit squad. Um, and they haven't chopped and changed, even though they've, they've loads and loads of players. And I think part of the weakness of that, and this is a team that won the Grand Slam last year. So, it's obviously work from, but, but I think part of the weakness of that is that you can stick with players who quite simply aren't in form when you've got better players in your domestically that you could pick. Um but you you don't want to break up your team. So I do wonder are they keeping out players? I, I couldn't give you any names. I, I don't watch enough top fourteen, but I do suspect that there are players playing better in the in the top fourteen that just that aren't getting a look in um because of that selection policy. And then I think of the personnel that France do have on the team that their style of game sort of relies on the Holy Trinity firing. And if two of the three of them do, they'll probably beat you. Um, with uh, DuPont and Entomac. And, and Aldrich. Uh, Penno. Oh, right. Just, just the, that, uh, that attacking trilogy. Um, I feel France get less out of Ubi Antonio and Aldrich than La Rochelle do. I think La Rochelle play much more of their game around those two guys and benefit from their skills. Whereas I think that France play a lot more around uh, the three guys in the backs, who, if they're on form, but Peno had a particularly poor game for his own standards. DuPont isn't the force that he was two seasons ago, and Entomac was, you know, taken off, and and, and I would say Entomac's the third of three of those guys. I think DuPont is the top dog. Um, you know, so if they're not playing particularly well. France aren't the same threat.
2: Yeah, I it's it's interesting to look at their team like I don't I like there's their second row to me is is, is still like Willems is obviously this very big punishing character we saw in uh, in the game in Paris last year when it, when it, the pace goes up like he can be found out moving left to right and just covering the ground Flamand I'm, n- I'm not sold on. Like, no. I, I don't know how there's not a better second row in, in France than him. Um, Marchand is great. Zero is great. Jelanch is the glue player in that pack who every time... I go, is, like, is Jelanch the best they can do? And you go, you, then you, you get to the end of the game. You go, well, Jelanch played... Like, he's the one player in Toulouse who plays 80 minutes all the time. Like, Toulouse literally fucking changed their entire pack barred Jelanch. They've done it twice that I've seen. They've changed... Like, they roll on forwards, and someone comes off, and he comes back on another position. It's taking the piss, ridiculous. But Jelonek tends to play eighty minutes for France and for uh, for Toulouse, so he brings he, he brings a lot. But I still look back on the French back row of uh, Benaziri, Benetton and, and just Think like that's three outstanding back rows, and I I think Aldred's outstanding. Like, I would have have him as the third Musketeer. He would be Athos if he was a Musca Hound. Porthos if he was a musketeer. They sort of got that transition wrong between cartoon and novel. Um, I think he's a great player, really hard to play against. Um, but I agree with you about Wieny Otonio, who looks like he's the real cornerstone of La Rochelle, and and for France, not not as much. Um, and then, like Ficou's very good. He played 13 the last day instead of 12, which he's more likely playing. I, I think that they... Miss uh, Vakatawa and the most, the very unfortunate Vakatawa, like he was such a threat, such a hard player to play against. And and Thomas Ramos is a curious cat. What do do people, what do you think of him? Not as good as Bryce Toulon. No, like he's an unbelievable goal kicker. He's fucking incredibly petulant. He's like a a caricature of like French exchange, Parisian exchange students. Like he's so fucking cool for school. Everything is... Some fucking moue for everything. Like I, I don't think he has a fullback's temperament, is what I'm saying yeah, in yeah. xenophobic ways. Um so and whereas I I think that Dulan uh I think Squidge Rugby described him as the shittest world class player. <laughs> I was like oh, why is he shit? Like he's really good. He always plays well. Uh great kicking game, Dulan, and has the temperament. So, so short. So short goalkeeper. Little, little short goalkeeper um, like should I give him?
1: probably a Barthes maybe
2: yeah so I, I'd, I I think that that French team is still missing players like they have been anointed as though this is I mean, people are sort of waiting for Ireland to fuck up and not be the number one team in the world because France are really the number one team in the world how can France not be the number one team in the world in the 14 games in a row I like still don't think that they're
0: I don't think they're as good as South Africa no. I, I think South Africa are the best team in the world. I think Ireland are very, very close behind them. And yeah, that's it. That's as yeah. split as I see it. And New Zealand, very close behind Ireland. Yeah. Give, I, if if New Zealand pick the back line. Pick their proper team. Pick their proper team. And then just the, the Italians. Um, I thought the Italians were really hard working. I really liked Brex. I liked, not BG, uh, who's the six? BG's the replacement hooker. Uh, it ends it ends with G. I really like Canoni, Not Canoni. Back row Canoni. Yeah. But I like you know, both of them are pretty good. Um, and I hope they Hope they win a match or two this time around. I think that's the hardest thing. It's going to be difficult because Ireland have to go and play in Rome. So yeah. I think it's a, it's a tough fixture. Wales. It's a tough fixture for Ireland, but they're going to play Wales. It'd be wonderful for the competition. It'd be even better for Italian rugby if they generated a bit of excitement because they won matches and more and more people went to the Olympic Stadium. Because yeah. it is it is an absolutely fantastic venue. It's a great weekend. What a marvellous city. Um it's it's a wonderful weekend. Um it double decker trains. It would be it would be great for the tournament if Italy finally achieved that potential that was hoped for when they were missing out on the matches in the nineties and yeah. they had a really good team. With Stoica. Um Yeah. Uh it it'd be really, really good because for so often, it's been like, well, how do you get a game against Italy? And it's, like, it's just yeah. so condescending.
2: And that other fucking, super, should we bring in Georgia? And should we bring in Georgia? And, and fucking get rid of Italy? No. Lads, do you know, have you seen an atlas? Do you know where George actually is?
1: <laughs> well, also, like, Italy beat Georgia every time.
2: Yeah. So Listen, let's kill that one dead. You're going to ask us a question, a very important Is question. Six Nations good? <laughs> six Nations is great. God, like it's, it's brilliant. It was a great weekend three really good games uh, it's the best tournament in the world in any sport
1: three away wins with bonus points as well oh, unbelievable scenes I would so have not called that
0: it's a marvellous tournament it, it now comes with the bank holiday and the change in daylight from last Friday to this Tuesday just seems to be magnified by about half an yeah. hour in we the all got paid days. and
2: then we got a bank holiday and this is <laughs> so I think it's just about time for Man of the Match is it? Yeah, I think yeah. the Guinness uh, it's man it's of the match, I think uh, Keelan Dorris has been absolutely brilliant, you know, some huge turnovers and tackles and a try. But for us, you know, it's all it's in on. studio and me and Don Shea and Coventry, Hugo Keenan has been top drawer. He has been just everything he's taken in the air, he's cleaned
0: everything up and he's been threatening an attack. He has had a great game.